0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Save Our Brave podcast. In today's episode, we'll be traveling to New York City to meet with the founder of Muse Systems, Richard Walter. Richard is disrupting the hospitality industry and he has raised more than 30 million US dollars. It'll be really interesting to get a perspective on what it's like to experience such a growth and uh, scaling the startup. So let's get to the chat with Richard. All right, Richard. Uh, welcome to the Safe For Brave podcast. I'm uh, so happy to have you.
1: Yeah, I'm really happy to be here as well.
0: We are right now in Brooklyn in New York um, and you came here uh, with uh, Muse uh, yep. for a mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you like to introduce uh, what uh, Muse is and then what's the, what's the mission that you'd like to do uh, here in the US?
1: Yeah, I, um, so Muse is a property management system. So we uh, take care of, you know, hotels uh, pretty much, you know, enterprise size. So usually from 25 rooms and up and it's hotels or hotel chains that we mainly go after. So we usually we started out with uh, kind of smaller, you know, uh, smaller hotels and hostels. In I guess the center of Europe, and now we've grown it to I guess 11 offices all around the world, um, in more than a thousand, thousand one, 1 hundred hotels in more than 51 countries. Um, so, um, uh, so yeah. So my particular mission here is to basically, you know, uh, to take over the US and to take on Oracle and to uh, to you know crush it.
0: How, how how does oracle feel about the, your mission uh, have, like you, have you heard any feedback like?
1: like it's it's like they they just um, i think they they don't like the fact that we we mentioned them so much and like i like i kind of don't want to don't want to talk about them so much because of the fact that it feels like we're giving them free free pr but they still are that kind but of it's
0: not so positive pr in the end yeah, yeah,
1: yeah but it feels like um, You know, I think it's like I once read a book about Larry Ellison, um, and it's like more or less his uh, authorised biography, which is actually one of the greatest books that I've ever read. It's called Softwar. It's amazing. And I think like actually any startup founder should uh, should read it. Um, But uh, he always had this like really, really great philosophy, which is, you know, if you're going after somebody don't choose everyone just choose the person that you're going after the company that you're going after and make that the mission and it becomes really really clear and once you've kind of done it you can always go to the next guy who's big enough the next guy who's big enough but it helps concentrate the team concentrate the mind concentrate every one of those things so i i actually have always i've always really really enjoyed that and i think it's it's nice when it's kind of used against them in the same way
0: got it so uh um in, in, the, in the recent months, you have had uh, quite some success in terms of uh, fundraising mm-hmm. and expanding uh, uh, your business. Yep. Uh, if I remember correctly, uh, in the last round, you raised $33 yep. million. Mm-hmm. And before that, you raised uh, six. six. Six million
1: euros, I guess. It's like uh, 7, million, uh, seven million euros. Yeah. So
0: you're uh, roughly at uh, uh, 40 million yep. uh, US dollars rate raced so far. Mm-hmm. That's uh, a pretty high number. Uh considering that uh uh Muse was uh something that was not really planned if I if I uh, know the story correctly and it was something that sort of even happened by accident.
1: Like it kind of it's one of these things where I like it happened by accident to be so big, but we always uh, One of the things that kept us going through, I guess, the first three or four years that were a bit of a struggle was that we knew that what we were building was going to be massive. Um, I don't think that we knew that we would grow as fast as we have in the past three years. And it's really kind of been, I think you can characterize Muse as like three years of struggle and three years of super growth. Um, and you know, like last year we grew, at, um, uh, like way over 200% this year, we're going to grow at more than 200% next year as well, probably. Um, or at least that's the, that's the plan. And I think it, it's one of those things that kind of just pushes us, you know, like how do we achieve that real kind of exponential growth? So I think for, for, from my point of view, like even when we were small and when we had even kind of buyout offers, um, uh, that would have still made us, like, by a normal kind of measure, quite rich. Um, we still knew that. I think what we were, what we were really kind of working on, was going to be, you know, I think as big as it is today. So.
0: What what drives you to stay in that and uh, basically uh, keep keep working on on achieving the mission day in day out? Like, I think the
1: um, I think it's like a bit of like personal pride that you, I think you get this as a first-time founder. I know that like when I speak to people who've done like six or seven startups or they've done like two really unsuccessful startups and one that's been like, you know, that's knocked it out of the park, it always seems to follow the same kind of trajectory. They, they at some point had a look at themselves and said, you know, this isn't going well or this isn't as big a market as I thought it was. Um, and they kind of just move on to the next thing. I think with us, we in a way, didn't really know um, all of those different things. Like we, It's like Czech Republic's not really a kind of, you know, massive startup community. It's like, you know, I, I think there is a much, much bigger one now. And I think, for example, like guys like you are, are doing a really, really good job at, at pushing that out. But like, we'd never really hung out with other entrepreneurs. So for me, it was just more of a kind of personal pride thing that I was like, no way are we going to like, let this fail or like this idea is big enough for us not to kind of like I don't know sell it for like five million dollars or something like that. Um or,
0: you want to uh, achieve something you, you want like, really, to like really a a really achieve level yeah. and uh, yeah. set kind of a this this is it. This is this is how far uh exactly we have pushed. And I think it.
1: that's basically where and it's also I think everyone that's been kind of Working on the project has always had this kind of mission that we're completely, you know, rejigging or remaking the world of hospitality, um, and that it's big and that it's something that you know can be a huge market. It's bigger than hotel software. It's bigger than um, a lot of the uh, like the the PMS uh, market itself. And I think that's been the the driving force behind It's just this idea that actually it makes sense to stick with it to really really solve it because if one day we can get to a scale that that actually kind of matters then we'll actually be able to change the world change the way that people travel change the way that people experience the world when they actually travel and experience the way that, that companies who work in this space are actually kind of run i think yeah it's, it's always been like a big goal and we've always been stupid enough to to not let it fail
0: can you still recall uh, what were your thoughts at the very beginning, where you actually got the idea that you would like to build something like this? Because it came uh, out of your own need, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if 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 I no, uh, like
1: it, it's one of these kind of things. Like um, if you like, I still have the document where I uh, presented it to the, to the two guys that I that I first hired for the for the project. And, uh, one of them is now. A, Our CTO, and he's still still with us. But it's like it was pretty much like quite like megalomaniacal from the get go. You know, it's still like you know, it's building the the operating system for hospitality. Yeah. So even though the first edition of it was just this kind of like simple app, we still had this idea that we could grow it into something absolutely massive at some point. Basically.
0: So, you are basically so disappointed with the current state of the hospitality market and uh, the the hotel management solutions yeah. that you figured, okay, the only way that I can go about it is to create my own, and if I do that, there is no way that... Uh, just just i'll be using it it needs to be for everybody
1: yeah exactly and it was like it was one of those kind of moments when um when i started speaking to matt who is uh who's uh, the the ceo of news and um you know like my my partner in crime for for the entire for the entire journey more or less like when when i first kind of came to him with this and i was like look you know what's hilton doing to like you know, resolve these kind of problems. And he was just telling me like, man, like Hilton's not doing anything because I'm still working on DOS, you know? And it was one (laughs) of these kind of like things when you realize that like it's 2013, you know, uh, he's still working on DOS, like, or he's just come off DOS. Like there's a huge market, a huge opportunity. And the systems that are running this entire kind of world of hospitality are still, based in like, I don't know, like 2000, you know, the, the they're still kind of, they still look like they were built at the same time as Windows 98, you know, or just about like, that's, that's the inflection point that it looks like. It's like the theory is Windows 95, you know, and when you look at it, you're like, man, like there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way to do this with open APIs, with you know uh thinking of how to kind of make it really really user friendly how to make sure that actually within hospitality there shouldn't really be technology like there's nothing that there's nothing about hospitality that screams technology you know it's just like you're coming to someone's house like if they just put like a big ipad in front of your face like you know so so that you'd kind of say like okay, with this, I now give you consent to sit down on the sofa and have like a cup of tea or something like that. It's just like, it's not really human. You know, it's not the the point that you kind of have um, about like, you know, why you travel, why you enjoy actually traveling and stuff like that.
0: So is the idea basically to leverage the digital transformation and apply it in the industry That is using a using a lot of uh, legacy stuff, and there is not a whole lot of innovation that would be happening in the space.
1: Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's like pretty much the same thing that anyone's trying to do, like with technology. The way that I see it is that, you know, everyone is working on products, but they're ultimately uh, they're serving, you know, people to do their like so that people have easier better more enjoyable lives you know i don't think technology exists in and of itself just to basically kind of exist like fine you might have like well it it should it should certainly
0: not make our lives worse yeah exactly (laughs) like it shouldn't it should
1: actually be a tool right like you you invent a hammer because you have something that you want to actually kind of like put into the ground that's right you know but like or stick to the wall or something like that and i think with with any kind of tools like they might not be physical they might just be completely intangible i think that's when it's actually really really interesting to see you know how would you solve this problem of needing to put a picture up if you don't need physical tools and stuff like that and i think that's where like technology just offers so many different solutions
0: and that's why it's so exciting what were the the core issues that you found while doing your initial research uh, when looking for the right uh, hospitality management solution like it was mainly
1: um so there were there were three main issues that we had one was like how do you like the, the i think within a lot of different processes you want to make sure that you get the problem of authentication you manage to actually kind of get that out of the equation as quickly as possible. Yeah. So that's why, you know, biometrics are so uh, good now. That's why I guess QR codes are so popular in places like Asia. Um, That's why, you know, face ID is better than uh, fingerprint. It's like all of these kind of like different things because you want the technology to serve as a quick enabler of trust and i think it's the same thing in hotels you know like when i first looked at um you know the problems that that we had we needed to figure out a way of how to do a quicker check in and the quicker the quickest check in that we could think of at the time was the one that airlines were using you know so you were basically kind of like filling out all of your details online and that was it you just filling it all out and so when you actually came to the hotel you only had you know a, a qr code or something in your apple wallet and that would be your authentication point and you wouldn't need to go through the whole charade of here's my passport Oof. here's my credit card here's my like you know you don't need all of those additional steps which today in most hotels you still need and it's just a problem of authentication and when you think about like what kind of technology you actually need in order to drive that like it's just a place that you can uh, figure out all of those kind of details and then how to make sure that you're actually building it for privacy how to make sure that you're building a place that you can actually store the credit cards store them safely store them you know and it's one of these things where we just wanted somebody to solve this for us and there was nobody that could solve it like we even went to apple at one point and had this idea that actually we could use apple ids as um as stores of value because we like yeah apple has you know at least 30 or 40 percent of all credit cards so why don't we just you know the the rest of the people can just sign up for their apple id use it sometime (laughs) in the future (laughs) so like i ended up emailing phil schiller about it yeah just because i was trying to go through like the normal normal channels and nobody could get me an answer so i just he thought, didn't respond he did he, he actually did. put me in touch with like a really good mobile team in uh, in, nice. in Europe and it was like one of these kind of things where I just like I thought like well why why be pussy about it and just like let's just do it um,
0: and it was great did and you just uh, guess his email address yeah
1: I literally just like looked at uh, what possible emails the Apple people had and then basically just tried like Phil Schiller P.S. like something or like P. Schiller like all of the different kind of combinations, and then you just send it to all. I just sent it to all, and then he responded <laughs> with one of them. That's amazing. And, um, yeah, it was like it was cool, and it's it's funny because it's like five years on, that's essentially what Apple's now doing, you know. But at the time, it was just they were like, yeah, we're not going to let you sign people up for an Apple account um, without them having an iPhone or yeah. having, and it's just like it's like why? Like we're doing lead generation for you guys, you know? Like you should be happy about it. But anyway, so, um, but it's like when you try and solve these problems, you think of like, how can this be easier? And then you figure out that it's not easy. So you kind of begrudgingly have to build it yourself to make it easy.
0: So you were talking about making the check-in process as fast as possible. Like what I imagine as the best case scenario is no check-in. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to handle any of that. Yeah. Like
1: the way that we think about it is like the only check-in that needs to happen in a hotel is at the door. That's the most natural place that you can put a check-in scenario. Yeah, like there's no. Yeah, of
0: course. I don't want the. I don't want you to let anybody else to go to into my room. Yeah,
1: exactly. Like that's the thing that needs to kind of happen, right? And I'll be more than
0: happy to prove that it's me, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And like that's where it's normal that you ask for some kind of authentication point. But yep. like when you walk in through the door, like most hotels should be happy that people are walking through the door, you know? Um, and then it should be one of those things that like, I don't know, even from the way that somebody's walking into the door, you should recognize whether they're a guest or whether they're just browsing, yeah? Like it should be, you should, like we have the technology to be able to tell, you know, you, like you should be able to to even segment that person properly. Yeah, you should have a playbook for how you respond to that person it's like the same way that that like the technology should should enhance the things that we as humans have right like i see you on the street or i hear you or i hear that you're speaking Czech. i can speak Czech to you like immediately there's like we go from not knowing anything to like the facial recognition the speech recognition all of these things suddenly kind of like open up a um a a chasm that's between us and suddenly we can actually start talking to one another as trusted parties basically yeah and it's just like the quicker we can get to that point of actually kind of being friends because being friends is the nicest thing it's like when you fully trust someone when you're like Fully relaxed. You don't have to be apprehensive. There's nothing in your body that's going like, oh my god, danger, danger, danger. You can't trust this person. Like, and that's when you feel nice. You know, if you don't have to feel like, shit, I'm so like worried about this, or I don't know what exactly is going to happen next. If you're past that that point, that's like a great experience, and that's what hospitality is about. It's like about making sure that somebody who is in that scenario feels that way as quickly as possible.
0: Guys, so how does it work in the hotels that integrate news today? Um, Yeah, I always want to talk about the future. We will get uh, get to the future too. For
1: me, like the the way that, like, so we were, um, I think, the first system to come out with this online check in. So everyone could fill out their details before they came to the hotel. They would uh, fill out their details, put in their credit card, and Essentially, send all of that information through. So, what you then had in places where you still needed to kind of actually have a physical signature, um, you would print out all of these details on a registration card. Now, with e signatures, that's actually much, much better. So, we now kind of do it by the, um, uh, the different, um, uh, like countries that you're in, so some countries are a little bit more stringent, some are a little bit less stringent. So in Czech Republic, you still have to, uh, you know, have all of the details, and then you have to send it oh. through to the foreign police and and all of these don't, things. Don't tell me about in the that. UK, it's like nobody cares. You know what what information's there? You just need like first name, last name. So it, it's all kind of configured based on those uh, on those details. And then, um, yeah, you just do your, 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 check-in and then depends on whether the hotel has like mobile locks enabled or something. So you would either get a, um, you know, a, um, a token for your Apple wallet. Um, and then that's where you kind of carry it. So then you come in. We've got like a special kiosk. You can check yourself in on that. Basically, you essentially are either cutting your key at the kiosk. So you get the, mm-hmm. the key. Um, or you can actually go straight up to your room and actually if there's a uh, a, a reader on the door, it can just actually kind of take that and um, you can just walk through.
0: Is there a mobile app as part of the solution or it's? Uh, so
1: we had a mobile app at the beginning and this is probably like one of my kind of biggest missteps. Where wow. I really, really thought that um, in order to do this properly and mainly because of the locks and mainly because of that, like we needed to have a mobile app, but it, the way that So, and on the mobile app, you can see, you know, all of the hotels in the the kind of the whole like news network. You can see, but then once you're actually staying within a hotel, it kind of segments you down to that one hotel. So you can see all of the services of the hotel. So you can order all of the services. You can chat to your receptionist. You can chat to, um, you know, anyone who's actually kind of working there. And then you can also kind of um, uh, like configure configure your stay in some way. But it was it was weird because we created that app, I think probably about five years ago. Um, and we've never really updated it. So it's it's kind of one of these things where because we were so focused on building the back
0: end. Is it still there?
1: Yeah, like don't download it. <laughs> like am no I might go check it out yeah. right now. <laughs> no,
0: it's like I it's, feel unprepared I think, uh, for, I think for the like, chat now.
1: In in terms of like what we did it was fantastic. It was just one of these things that you have to kind of, as a, as a startup, you have to choose, you know, what part of the universe do you start building? You know, like, do you do the things that enable other more creative uh, people and more creative agencies to actually kind of like build something on top of a mesh? yeah or do you actually try and do the two things together and it like it was just too difficult to try and do everything all at the same time because we were building you know a back-end system a payment system a um like a worldwide kind of tax engine so that we could do um like parts of the revenue accounting in all of the 50 countries or so that we were going after you know and then and it's like really, really big, massive problems that you're trying to kind of solve. And you realize like, no, we've just got to scale it down to the things that we can do. Um, so I think at that point we kind of made made a real decision that like, let's actually, let's use these kinds of front-end experiences to actually inform the stuff that we want to enable on the back end.
0: And don't the, the hotels want to have this front-end experience to be branded and customized Uh, like everyone
1: uh, does right but then the customer doesn't really kind of want to constantly download a new app and a new oh yeah yeah. like 100 100%, it's just like you don't want to and i think that's what it is it's just you're not gonna like most hotels don't really get that it's not about them like the customer doesn't really care about like the thing that they're trying to show with their app because they don't really care about the service you know, like they—they've already decided where they want to live, yeah, and where they want to live is, you know, in a um, uh, in their chat apps. So it's like they want to live in their WhatsApp, they want to live in their Facebook Messenger, they want to live in like all of these different things. And if the hotel is coming up with something, it better be something that's actually delivering value to the customer. So it's like I don't know, a really super super specialized. Uh, view of what they're coming to yeah so it's like these are the best things about the 500 meter vicinity of the of the hotel or it's um i don't know like generator uh, generator hostels or hotels has like a brilliant brilliant app which is essentially like tinder for everyone that's in the um uh, that's okay. in the hotel and it's like you get it like you know it's a massive hostel yeah it's like loads of young people you want to meet all of them you want to kind of like let's meet up like you know it's just like you can do it for like romance you can do it for like you know just actually just like meeting people who you kind of because like travel is inherently lonely and when you're actually kind of going to uh, to a hostel if, if you're traveling around for a couple of months like it's pretty difficult to actually kind of like figure out who exactly you're going to uh, you're going to kind of meet, yeah? and how exactly you're going to kind of say hello? Like, I know for me, like that was always like the, the toughest thing when I was like 18, 19, yeah. And I'd be like, oh my god, like this guy gonna think I'm weird just because like I just want to come and like say hi to him, yeah. And just like, and now like with the with the passage of time, you're like, yeah, that's totally stupid. Like most people actually do want to talk to you when they're when they're somewhere out on their own. But, um, but at the time, like, it would be nice if technology kind of, again, enabled that kind of experience.
0: So something tells me that uh, you have uh, a huge opportunity to grow. Uh, because my experience, when I travel, and I believe I, I travel quite a lot, Yeah. Uh, it happens very rarely that... Uh, there is something like that yeah. when checking into a hotel. And to be honest, I don't think that I have ever encountered your system. Maybe I did. Yeah, I just like didn't you, know. You
1: probably go and like stay at the really like shishi hotels that aren't working with us at the moment.
0: I stay at random places, <laughs> uh, all kinds, um, but there is there like... Even if if you if you are talking about like the, for example, the smart door kind of thing, mm-hmm. that is super rare these days. Yeah. Or at least like that's that's yeah, that's what like, I in see. In my
1: experience, like it never works, right? Like it's like, <laughs> and, and if like, it's there, it doesn't work. Yeah, that's like, right. I've had these experiences where I go in and I'm like there to actually see what the locks are like, yeah, because like they've made this big PR push about like we've got smart doors. And I'm there, and I'm like, great, I've downloaded your app. It's really cool. Like, I'm just going to go up to my room. And they're like, no, 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 take the key, yeah? And I'm like, no, it's fine. I've got the, I've got the app. It's, it's fine. And they're like, no, 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 take the key, yeah? And I'm like, why? And they're like, well, it's, it works 98% of the time, yeah? Okay. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. So, like, two people out of, like, 100 get to go to the door and it just doesn't work and so they've had to kind of build in this entire mechanism where they still give you a key at the reception desk even though you haven't asked for it and even though you just so they've essentially not they they haven't sped anything up they've actually just like instead of now asking annoying questions it's a bigger mess yeah it's a bigger mess basically
0: so uh how do i go and experience uh some of uh some of your technology
1: so i guess you wait until your favorite hotel uh um, i don't have my favorite <laughs> uh, i
0: just need to know where i go and uh, now no, i think like
1: we're, we're kind of working with a huge number of uh, parties especially in in, uh, in europe we like we haven't really uh we've got like a bunch of properties now in the us mm-hmm. um, uh, so
0: is it on the on the rise that you pretty much started here and yeah uh it should be picking up soon
1: no it should be like i think we've got most of the team now the u.s team training up in uh, in europe so they've been there for for um for over kind of two months and we're going to make a real concentrated effort into the uh, into the u.s and to try and really really push things here basically so i think you know, and if you tell us some of your favorite hotels, we'll we'll definitely like go to them, and we'll tell them that you know, like one of your best customers. You
0: know, really <laughs> not sure if I'm a good customer. <laughs> Why do you but, like take the TV and you go out the window? Unfortunately, uh, I don't do that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but I would I, w- I would love I would love to to see this more. That's for sure. And when you mentioned uh, your uh, numbers in terms of uh, how. Many bookings you process yeah. and uh, and overall, I think it's uh, very impressive. But uh, the market is just so huge. Yeah. Was your idea right from the beginning? Um, and I'm asking this especially because both of us are Czech. Yeah. And I think for Czechs, it's not really common to think globally. Yeah. But this is a this is a global idea, and what you are doing is conquering the global market, yeah. right? You don't want to do it just like for uh, one hotel in Prague, okay. and that's it.
1: Yeah, like I like I have like uh, I've been pretty lucky because I got to grow up both in in Prague and in, and in London. That's where the, the stupid accent comes from. But. Um,
0: I think I have, I have uh, studied in England, so I'm perfectly fine with that.
1: <laughs> no, I think for me, like, I, like, when I, when I, like, Czech Republic, like, we're, we're given a blessing, I think, like, starting out in Czech Republic, because we have such a small market. Yeah. It's like, if you're, if you're working in, and this is generally my kind of, my theory about why European tech never really seems to kind of like scale up that much and why, some of the real kind of um, like biggest, like rising stars of of European tech are all from, you know, secondary or tertiary kind of countries, you know? So like, it's like us or, you know, us or um, the guys at Product Board, or for example, like, you know, if you've got like Daniel Dinas, like coming from Romania, you know, or like Nikolai at Revolut, you know, it's like, all countries that nobody gives a shit and it's just like like the market is too small the the customers there don't want to pay you the real money yeah so you kind of go if i'm gonna actually make it and if i've got like you know the balls big enough to actually try and take over the world like i'm gonna have to figure out how to get out of my country how to how to do all of these different things. Whereas if you're starting out in Germany or the UK, it's like, I've got a big market, I can probably raise quite a bit of money and my investors are really, really going to try and push me to really own my market, to really kind of show that I can actually kind of do it. And I think with that, it's like, it's pretty difficult to actually scale a company. It doesn't matter if you're like doing it in Czech Republic or if you're doing it somewhere else. But if you're having to concentrate on just one Market no matter how how small or, or large it's like with you guys for example going to the u s you know before anyone asks you to do it yeah like, right. yeah you know, like I don't think you went to the u s because you were like this is the only place that we can sell our uh, sell our solution it was like, no, we want to be like a big and it, was, it was the
0: most interesting and yeah. appealing
1: yeah exactly and it's just like and i see like it's probably the same for you like you see all these things on t- uh, on tech Crunch or something and you kind of know like fuck i can do that like i'm not any worse than them yeah and i think like i think a lot of the times like one of the things that i think isn't like taught enough, or like we don't have enough stories about that in Czech Republic. Yeah, we have like the Skodas and the Batyas and those guys, and they. It feels like one-offs. Yeah, and and then you go like even like companies like you know whatever you might think of kelner you know he's a pretty shady guy, but like Home Credit is like a worldwide success story. You know, and it's just like and the fact that like it was birthed out of like. tiny country in the middle of uh, in the middle of europe like it's pretty it's pretty impressive yeah so i think it's it's about the fact that like i think we you know we're we're kind of it's the way that we for example like hire news you know you've got to have like a tiny bit of like a chip on your shoulder that's still saying like i want to prove myself you know like i may have done this thing i may have like achieved something yeah but i don't think that you know that anyone's above me yeah, and it's just like and that's what's like so great about being here it's just like the the level between being good and great just seems a tiny bit shorter yep you know and it's just like you suddenly go from you know meeting somebody who's uh, you know you, you go from somebody who owns like a 50 bedroom hotel like suddenly sitting in like you know like I've been here what like two weeks yeah I've already had lunch with Jamie Dimon you know it's like and it's like wow that's what America's for you know and you don't get that in Europe you don't go like it would take me a lifetime to have a drink with somebody who's you know the head of BMW or something like that it just wouldn't happen and there is even like there is
0: no these people in in the Czech Republic right yeah (laughs) and exactly and like you're like (laughs) no and
1: like who like who are you like you like you preside over a business that has like a valuation of like I don't know like 10 million euros like it's great and it's like well done to them but it like at the end of the day like if you have that kind of chip on your shoulder if you have that kind of thing of like I just want to I just want to measure myself against the best people in any industry. And I don't really care how difficult or how much everyone's telling me that it's impossible. Like, that's the thing. Like, I think that's why it's, that's why we've waited to make sure that we're ready, but that's why it's so exciting actually kind of being here now and being able to just say like, screw it, we're going to take over the U S.
0: What's, uh, I think, really interesting about your journey also is that for a really long time, no one really knew about you. <laughs> it's like, yeah, was no. that intentional or?
1: Like, it wasn't. It was just like, I think we just had too much work, you know? And <laughs> like, it just felt like, like we never had enough money. Uh, we never, like. Um, I
0: see, that does not seem to be like an issue now.
1: No like now it's like <laughs> now we can spray money on like you know PR and stuff like that so that people kind of write the interesting stories about us but like we were just talking about it before it's like one of these things where you're kind of like you're looking at it and you're like man like what are the journalists doing if they're not writing about us you know it's like wh- like they're not doing do, their job do, properly Yeah exactly like I do research about everything that I need to know you know like about my business about my competitors about like all of these kind of like different things and I always kind of just assume that the journalists like there is of course an interesting story to tell yeah
0: 100 and it's like and now everybody knows
1: and now everyone knows but it's like it's a bit like cheating because we've you know we've got a pr company with like you know we're pushing out stories we're asking people like hey do you want to know about us like and it's not you know like it's fine it's part of the game it's part of the whole part of the whole thing but it it feels like um yeah like i think we just always kind of looked at it in this kind of way
0: what, uh, how, how difficult was it to actually get your first customers? Because it seems like you didn't do any PR uh, in that direction. It seems like the sales uh, process is a bit different. Yeah, like, I think um, it, like, at first, the whole,
1: like, the whole thing was like we knew that the, the market that we were going after was always going to be really, really difficult for us to actually kind of attack so i think we almost chose customers who would enable us to do something a little bit more so it was more like we were almost trying to find people who would do qa for us um mm-hmm. as we kind of scaled up the 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 technology and the um uh and the capabilities of the system and i think that's when you know and that was the the big kind of struggle but it was also like things like we at first, we didn't really know about you know blitz scaling, or we didn't really know about um, you know how to get an SDR team. Uh, we didn't know any of these kinds of things. And like, to be fair, like the the main transformation around that was when um, we hired uh, like another great friend of ours, Greg Naidu, who's our CCO, and he really transformed the entire kind of sales operation of the thing. You know, because I think up until then we were still kind of like well, we've still got to build all these things before we can actually go out and sell them. Um, and, you know, there should be, again, somebody who kind of, like, notices us. Yeah. So it's it was almost the way that we sold the system at first was that we knew what we wanted to build and we needed to find the customers that would enable us to, to build those features that we mm-hmm. wanted to build um, and that would actually kind of uh, give us money. So we had this whole thing that, you know, you weren't paying us, for features but you were paying us for feature prioritization so we would say you know we're building this feature probably in two years time but if you want it to go front of the queue you can pay us like x amount of thousands of euros for us to build it tomorrow because it helps your particular kind of concept and that that was like a really like i probably would have never done it the same way again but it just seemed to kind of like work for us and kept us uh, kept us afloat for i guess the first like three years
0: I think it was uh, very similar what you are describing for us as well when we were expanding to the US market, right? To really build up a presence here, you need to you need to get your first clients. And the way how we did it is that uh, we went ahead and uh, we worked even for some of them. We worked for free because we wanted to provide them uh, with the value and we wanted to get uh, some of the first clients on board. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it helped us tremendously. Yeah. So...
1: And, like the reference clients always really really help like it's like a weird thing like we never gave away the system for free because we always thought that that would like always work in like the wrong incentives for clients basically because then we would always kind of be free mm-hmm. so we always charged a really really high price for the for the whole system um and in some way we managed to survive you know and like i i Like looking back, like there's so many kind of near misses and so many times when, you know, we would just run out of cash and we wouldn't know like where to get it from the next month. And there was always something that like happened in a really fortuitous way. Like somebody paid us like three months before they were actually supposed to, or like, you know, some, some kind of strange thing that would happen that would enable us to actually pay the bills.
0: So the podcast is called Safe or Brave, right? Uh, and I would like to ask, what were the toughest moments that uh, you had to go through on this journey of uh, building up the company?
1: Like, I think the the two that really really stick out was I think there was definitely one point when um, we just got a term sheet from a Czech investor um and everything about it was and the, like they're fairly well known or whatever but everything about it was like like we were like oh god like you know we were severely running out of money we essentially had no money Um, uh, but everything around the term sheet was just bad you know like it was just giving up control it was giving up too much of the company Oof. you had like reserved rights basically that just would essentially like give them the power to and it like it's like a standard thing in central europe yeah that when you go to like investors you know compared to the us it's like
0: what is the point of giving up control like do you want do you want to run the company yourself no, but, like, but i
1: think like that like that to me like i i feel it's because like it's again like about kind of trust yeah i yeah. think like when people you know when an like an american investor especially on the west coast looks at it He's like, oh, 23 year old guy knows how to code, has done a really, really good app. Like, here's a million bucks. Yeah. Because I know that you could build it into a billion. Yeah. And like, what else am I going to, like, what other real avenues for growth are there? I could put it into a building, but it's, it's never going to yield that much. Whereas in Europe, that's not the case. It's like in Europe, if you get an exit for like 20 million as a startup, Everyone's like, "Wow, man, you got twenty million as an exit. Like that is incredible." You're like, "You're you're the shit," you know. And I and I think that that's you know because people are kind of it's not that they're small minded, but I think they they think the outcomes that are small are actually kind of good. And the main thing is don't lose money. And if you're coming at it from the point of view of don't lose money, then you're also trying to kind of exert more control. But if you're exerting more control, you're basically almost making, like the, the reason why I never never took it and the the point of this story is basically like we turned it down and we were like practically basically there in the boardroom about to sign it. And I just basically stood up and I was like, I'm sorry, I actually can't do this. And I just walked out the boardroom and there were like awesome. seven lawyers. Awesome. I, I love this. <laughs> and it was like, and it was just it's like a, a real- move yeah but like and so then we had to go back to the team and I was like look I'm sorry guys I couldn't do it and I'm not going to be able to pay you for another month yeah or two months yeah and to the point where like it's now part of like our onboarding thing where like this guy had like pills to pay like uh, was on antibiotics and he didn't have enough money for his antibiotics so he had to (laughs) borrow money (laughs) 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 the 10 year old daughter of the girlfriend that he was (laughs) anyway it's a really horrible story. I, uh, I, I,
0: I, I, when I hear that... I no, want no, no. But anyway,
1: so, he, like, it was just, like, it was tough. And it was tough on everyone in the team, like, especially in that... At um, the beginning, and everyone was kind of... Everyone, but everyone understood it. Everyone... But, it like, that... Like, when people kind of say, like, oh, my God, it must be so difficult for you to make all of these kind of, like, choices and things. And, and isn't it really, really difficult, actually, kind of, like, you know, being... It's, like, it's not difficult. It's actually... This is, like, the fun part. This is, like, where you just... You just have to be better than you ever were before in your stupid life. That's what, but it's fun.
0: That's what makes the company to like, it's like a glue. Yeah. Right. And like we have gone through that also. And I feel like it makes you stronger. Yeah. In the end. Yeah. Of course, it's not a fun time and no one is really enjoying getting through this. Yeah. But if you do, then you come out as a hero.
1: Yeah. And you know that it's special, you know. Like at the end of it, you know that like the people that uh, that stuck through it, that they're special. You know that like that the idea is worth something, and you've then got to prove it to the people that it's worth something. You oh,
0: know, hundred percent. It's like a test of loyalty yeah. and a test of attitude. Yeah. Uh, and
1: and I think like there's like that's one thing. Like you know, compared to like the West Coast and compared to I think a lot of these different kind of startup areas, like if things don't work out then people just get up and leave you know and it's just like but no like you should show grit you should show like basically that it's like it's worth it it's like you know and especially when you're young you know it's like what else are you going to do like are you really going to go and like work for a nameless corporation like doing the same thing and essentially kind of bug fixes or do you want to work on something that like might actually change something you know and it's like i always think about like you know the, the Greek warriors and stuff like that. Like you've got to die with honor. You've got to die with like, you know, uh, pride. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't actually matter that you kind of fall in battle because that's valor. That's like, you know, that, that's something that you can actually kind of do. And it's great yeah, to, to just basically kind of live a really, really long life and have not been part of something that actually tries to change the world for the better. I think that like that to me just feels like a, a a tiny bit of a misspent life. Like I'm not like I'm it's perfectly fine for everyone but I just feel like I've always felt that I've had to be part of some kind of like
0: mission. What makes a huge relief for me is that if you experience going through something like this then like in the future, right? When you think about that something like that could happen again, then you know that you have a team around you that will that will always support you yeah. and then like yeah if it happens we'll 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 work it out yeah. we'll deal with it and uh, there's not going to be an issue so yeah uh, and i think
1: that's like it's well, I, I think one of the most like rewarding things about the whole process is just seeing how i like, think it's one of these kind of things because like the world like the the word like world class gets bandied around yeah and it's like always you know we get there's a whole thing basically about like game changers and like you know who's world class and get some world class people in your team and and all of these kind of things and then you kind of like look around you and you go like well you know like out of like you know guys who are like 23 you know just at like matvis like doing something but not no real experience of like you know commercial projects or something like that suddenly they're people that if they were hired out of news and put into somewhere, they would a hundred percent be uh, be classed as world class. So I think it's one of those kind of things where, you know, you like it's great to be able to see it, but it's even better to be able to kind of witness, um, you know, to see it in somebody else that like oh they're world class. I need to have them in my team. But it's even better to basically kind of like feel, you know, see how the transformation of someone from like, somebody who's just like, so for example like our CPO like our chief of product, like he came in as a coder, he was a pretty decent back-end coder, he was a pretty decent, I guess front-end guy, like he's kind of like a full-stack developer technically but he was never that great, and now he's just growing into I think definitely one of Central Europe's greatest chief, uh, chief product officers, and it's like it's fantastic to see it and it's like in every single year there's a jump and every single year you can see that he's much better than he was last year. And it's like, and if someone like that would get hired for another company, I'd be like, man, they just made a f- killer hire. Yeah, that's a great, great person. yeah, And it's just like, and you know, you take it back six years ago, nobody thinks of him like that. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what's really.
0: No one sees the potential there.
1: Yeah, and it's like, but it's almost like um, like potential is only as good as the personal kind of passion that you really have to actually kind of really drive yourself somewhere. One hundred percent. And I think like, and the team can give you that, right? Like when the team kind of goes like, screw it, like I can go and work at like Google or whatever, or I can push myself into all of these kind of things. But it's like I want to push myself to actually become a leader. of what I'm doing, or like, I just want to, you know, do things my way. And I'm going to say that the way that I think about code, the way that I think about the way that code should be the way that I think about what software should be, you know, for somebody to be able to say that within themselves, have that kind of thing, and, you know, and have the pride and passion to say, you know what, I haven't come from Facebook. I haven't come from any of these things. I have nothing on my diploma that says that I'm brilliant, but I I have it within me, and like I will I will try and learn as much as I can out of the rest of the world. But like I have that passion to basically kind of say like I am that good. Like that's the thing that like I just love about the whole thing. It's like I look around like all of us in the team, and I'm just like man. Like I would have never guessed that everyone is as good as they are today.
0: If someone comes with that for an interview, I'm sold. I'm sold. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that would be amazing. Though I feel like it happens uh, very rarely that uh, yeah, like people come with this kind of motivation and they are proactive to talk about it.
1: Like, and I think like I think like one part of it is also like you know it's down to like us to give people like the space to actually kind of and to give them like tasks to be able to I think that's why I really really like the whole like institutionalized product thinking you know and the way that like people are talking about like teal corporations and things like that it's like you know, when, when you're able to actually bring out people's own motivation to build the stuff that they want to do and when they can kind of align themselves, like at the beginning of a startup, like that's the thing that I I love about those moments is that, you know, we're like what, 330 people. So how do we get every single person to actually feel a sense of like personal responsibility that they're the one that's actually going to drive everything. But I, And it's difficult when you grow to that kind of size as we are today. It's easy when there's six of you because, you know, there's literally nobody else that's going to do that one thing that you have to figure out on your own. Um, But I think, you know, that like that still is the thing that like drives me when, you know, people go like, oh, you know, we're going to get to, you know, once we start doing X amount in revenues, we'll need to have, you know, 2,000 people. And I'm like, who says? like who says that we have to have that many people yeah and we have to have that many processes and we have to have that many strict things like how can it can we try and basically like figure out how it can be done you know based around this kind of personal responsibility like let's put guardrails in place let's put processes in place so that people can kind of learn but in the same time like you know, how can we actually kind of make sure that we don't lose that spirit of like, it's one person that's just done this like incredible thing pretty much on their own or with a team of like three or four other people. Yeah. And it's created a product that could be worth, you know, billions, you know, and it's like, and I, and I still believe in that. And I still, that that's still something that like really, really drives me that I'm like, I just I like, I hate the idea that we would one day become this like soulless corporation with like 40,000 people yeah, doing like really, really boring um, uh, products and projects that just make business sense basically, that are not exciting.
0: God, seems like you are really, really open to hiring juniors or young people. Let's Let's say young people uh with no like proven track record or not uh, a whole lot of experience and like for me when 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 i look at that and when i think about it for me the the experience and the skills are not worth anything yeah if the attitude is not there yeah
1: i think so like i think like there's a difference because i can see that there's a really like a great amount of people that we've gotten from and that we've needed to actually like put in who have experience who have a proven skill set who have a proven track record but still um sometimes i feel like there is an expectation that they have around how things should be because in order for them to kind of work in a certain way they need to have A certain support structure around them. And that's kind of usually replicating the last support structure that they had around them to be able to. And I I genuinely prefer that you know, I think with us it's it is pretty difficult for a lot of people, basically, if they don't really have that hunger to really understand how they can personally transform, you know, what they are, and they're just not just replicating same thing because like to me like anyone can become IBM yeah like because it's like you're the general that's fought the last war and everyone can replicate that but it basically means that that's the that's the point when you start losing the next war because you start essentially kind of trying to recreate something that has been successful in the past Um and I think it's it's tougher to try and basically do it in a way that's Constantly in innovative, um, but it, I think if you're really building something that's permanent, that's going to outlast me, that's going to outlast any of the people that are that are that are there, then it has to be something that's kind of constantly growing, constantly evolving, and constantly exciting.
0: What do you do internally at Muse that uh, basically you feel makes the company special, or what are the things that you feel? Uh, you incorporate it to cultivate the culture and that uh, you don't think... Uh... Like,
1: I think we like we have a few of the,
0: these types of things. I think
1: it comes from um, the way that we treat each other, the way that we, you know, like, we have this attitude that there's nobody else that's going to do things for you, you know? So, you know, at first we used to, You know, if there was a new person starting, we don't do this anymore, but it was like indicative of the kind of culture that we wanted to create. But we would basically give them a half folded chair and we were like, make your own chair. Yeah, like make your own computer like there's no person that's going to do it for you. You got to do it for you, and like that'll
0: be fun. I would enjoy my first day. Yeah,
1: and it's just like, and you do these kinds of things, and like we still do it. Like you still set up your your systems yourself. Like you know, even we spend a huge amount of time trying to train people and trying to educate them about you know why it is we're doing this, what we're what we're actually trying to do, what their particular role is in helping us um, get there, and you know we try and give them a sense of purpose as soon as they're basically in their induction. And we spend, you know, a long time explaining every single department in the company, you know, so that it's not like you're just going in to do this one particular kind of role or one particular task. Um, and so I think there's that, like there's another thing that we're trying to do basically now, which is this, um, so like, uh, th- this book called loon shots, which like, I'm a massive, massive fan of, um, and it's like by this guy called Safi Bakul. And we essentially, it's like the whole thing about it, but it's like about how um, you should always have like an artist squad, yeah, and an army. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's basically about like cultivating both of those because these are the people that are going to kind of create those kind of loon shots that just seem really cre- crazy. And it feels like you're basically just wasting money. Uh-huh. And, Here's like the, the army that's actually kind of doing the, the franchise stuff, the stuff that makes money and they're kind of just getting better at the process and all of those kind of different things. And you should try and get them to actually kind of live together. So one of the things that we're trying to do is basically figure out, you know, how can we get, you know, at first it's like just certain people, but how can we essentially get certain people to just break out of what they're doing and just focus on their own kind of like project? Even if they just seem totally, totally crazy, yeah, and we just give them that that opportunity, and that like that's one of the things that's great about money is that like you can just waste it on on projects like this, basically. Which, yeah, really. Were
0: cool. there were there any uh, projects like that that really paid off and that uh, yeah, like were then the, incorporated? It's into the way your that solution. we did
1: payments, for example. Yeah, so payments basically just began as a bit of a hobby of mine that I was like man, like, this is, like, such a weird, weird thing that, like, nobody knows. Like, like you still, like, have, you know, I think most people, when they try and speak to anyone who works in payments, it's like smoking daggers, you know? Like, what's interchange? Like, shh. You know, like, every single person who works in payments, there's, like, some kind of, like, thing around it. It's just, like, you know, it's, like, the people that kind of go, like, blockchain. Yeah. And it's like, what does it mean? Like how, what's the actual application? They're like, <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's just a thing that like everyone says, and it's really difficult to try and find out information because the people that know feel like they're sitting on like a massive pile of cash. So they don't really talk about it that much. And even if you're trying to like read blogs and articles, everyone's, and it's like, everyone's kind of obfuscating what they kind of mean. And there's. You know people who will say like oh we're a payfac provider and they're not they're like an iso provider and it's like even to find out what's the difference between iso and a payfac and all of these kind of things whereas you know i feel like in general technology everyone can kind of learn about everything and everything's kind of free and open whereas in payments everything's like smoke and daggers you know like how is it that you actually obtain a banking license like shh you know, like nobody talks about it. Is, got that, is that something that you have gone through? Yeah. So like we, we kind of did this thing where like um, we like we just thought like, wow, like this is so difficult to like onboard people to get through the KYC process to do all of these kind of different things. Like why is it so difficult? Like we know the customer, we know what's coming in, we know all the reservations, we can model what the reservations will be. And so we just thought, like, well, why don't we just start doing it ourselves? So we worked with a with a uh, company called Adian at first, basically. And even to try and get to that, because we worked with a company called Braintree at first. And then we figured out that, actually, in Europe, Adyen were doing all of their kind of back end. So yep. then we kind of, like, went to Braintree. We figured all of that out, basically. And then we just realized, like, oh, my God, it makes so much sense to actually... Incorporate this into our our system because every single hotel needs to have a bank account or you know a payment processor or something like that. And if you really really want to make it that it actually kind of adds a service to the hotel, you've got to know exactly everything around it. So it kind of be- began as this like weird kind of thing that I got really really into. Then I managed to persuade a few of the team to kind of build out like a few pieces here and there. And now it like is a massive, massive part of our company.
0: Do you act as uh, a bank for the hotels?
1: So essentially we act as the payment processor for the hotels um, or at least part of it basically. Um, And it's something that we're kind of working down more and more because you realize that if you really want to kind of automate most of the things on the back end,
0: well, you, you have to get things out of the way.
1: Yeah, right? exactly. You have to get the terminal. Like, if you don't have to come with a terminal, you can come with a handshake, you know, like, and it's things like that. And it, like, that's where you just realize, like, if you can automate all of the, the touch points, basically, that the finance team needs, that, you know, the, like, if you can automate as many of those things, you actually make a much better product.
0: So we were talking about that one uh, particular case yeah. that was really difficult for you to to get through. Uh, was there anything else uh, throughout uh, your journey? Like loads. Uh, like uh, I
1: remember, at like one point we um, we had an offer from a Chinese competitor to be bought out for like like at the time, like again, like shitloads of money, basically so they flew us down to, to how China. many how many digits um so eight digits eight u s yeah. yeah and so like so for de- future de- companies decent, decent, decent number yeah. of digits yeah and um yeah so we just thought yeah, like low you know but still um and it was like i think it was like three three years into the journey so like yeah you know, a lot of time it would have made some people you know relatively comfortable, and it's just like we
0: kind of came I feel, down there. I feel like it would make a lot well, of like people the other thing relatively that I didn't comfortable even, well the other
1: <laughs> thing that I basically didn't even mention was the fact that my wife had just given birth to our daughter, and like we still had like huge cash flow problems basically, and it was like and I remember um. The long, long and short of it is that we kind of had this moment, and we were like, "We can't do it. Like, it's just like it just feels like we're giving up, yeah." And it just feels like really, really shitty. Yeah, so let's just not do it. And so we we flew back from uh, from that experience and came to Europe. And like the next week, I basically sat my wife down, and she was like, "You know, I think it was like maybe like." Our daughter was, like, three months old or something like that. And I was like, look, I, I want to come clean with, you know, like, everything is, like, as a, I don't know, like, I would always obfuscate, like, just how perilously close to bankruptcy we were. And I sat her down, and I was like, you know, it's 10 days before payroll, and I don't know how I'm going to do it this month. And I'm really sorry, and, you know, and the decision with the company is final so we're not going to have you know we're not going to be rich we're not going to be all of these things and i don't know how to solve the problem and i'm really really sorry for like having that experience and having that life and like and i remember like she was just like she just cried you know and it was just like it was one of the most like painful difficult like horrible horrible moments and like it's like it's things like that like i i think like when it comes to like me and anything like i don't know you have a competitor coming up to you or you know or uh, an investor has basically told you that like you know your your idea is so shit you know and you, you don't even know what you're doing and like those kind of things like you take it on the chin and you're like that's shit But but screw it, like, you know, I, I can just dust myself off. But the moments that really, really stick with me that are really, really tough is the moments that, like, I have to look someone in the eye and tell them the truth about how close we are to, like, total wipeout that they've put all this trust in me and I don't know what's coming next. And I have to come clean to them because... Um, it's it feels like the right thing to do, those wanna, are the things you want to
0: honor the relationship, yeah. right? And yeah, especially when it's someone who who trusts uh, you and like, who, who trusts you, yeah. but what, who shares a household with you yeah. and uh, yeah. who who has been with you all the time. Yeah, I I totally see this uh, being super difficult.
1: It's, it's like it's like it's mainly like things like that, like those are the like the moments that like man like i think i've been rejected by every single vc fund in the world like oh, more that, than once
0: that that's a, that's another one right when it comes to fundraising yeah i think if you want to be a, a successful founder in 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 fundraising you need to be ready for like 100 of rejections
1: yeah. but it's tough like it's every single I know one it's of mental them. Every single one of them, like everyone kind of like, there's a whole like thing about it, like that you read online and everyone's like, oh yeah, like, oh, I just got rejected. I'm like, how do you, like, it's crushing. Yeah. Like I remember like when me and Matt would go into these kind of meetings and somebody would just tell us no. Yeah. But like, you know, it's like you get the nice guys who are like, hey man, it's really good. You guys are fantastic founders, really it's just not the right time for us or we don't believe in the market or we just don't think that the opportunity is large enough you know like you get those these guys are are not up front they are they are trying to
0: cover it up yeah yeah
1: yeah. and then you get like the guys who are like man (laughs) why are you even doing this like (laughs) like what is this whole thing like i don't get what you're trying to do like you're doing 200 things at once like you have no experience in any of it like just go back and like go back to school, at least learn about it, you know? Like and it's like you have those moments and you're just like and you're like, Wow, like that's even more crushing because he's at least trying to tell me that like I'm an idiot and I don't know what I'm doing and he's trying to be helpful. Yeah, and like it's all those but the like the problem is is like I can I can search back in memory to those times, but at the end of it, like the great thing is is that the great thing about being rejected by an investor is that you can you can train yourself to accept it. Yeah. And you can train yourself that it like actually in the end it doesn't really matter. Yeah, because if you really like I know that there's that whole thing, like I really, really hate the struggle porn thing. Like, you know, the the whole like the Gary Vinachuks and all of these guys who are like, you gotta like work. You gotta, you
0: gotta And it's tough. And you're, you're an asshole.
1: And it's just like yeah like fine but it's not like that. That isn't like It, it isn't about the struggle. Like it, it's. I think it's much more about like having a team, you know, f- figuring out things as a, as a team. That like the thing that I hate about those types of things is that it's always about you, yeah, or about like your personal thing. Like, yeah, there is nothing that I've done within Muse that I've done on my own. There's literally nothing like there might be decisions that i've made on behalf of others but i look at it as basically like i'm the arrowhead and every single one of those decisions i have like people behind me that of course Some, are there someone
0: the needs way. to stand somebody the front, needs to be right?
1: basically like the, the 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 face yeah but that whole thing of like the the jobsian you know like oh my god he's such a genius because it's steve jobs you know and it's just like no like if you're that then ultimately like you're not going to be building a great company if every single person is just looking up to you being like oh my god he's such a genius like i feel like everyone should think of me as like the uh, like the, the the like the acceptable idiot in the room yeah <laughs> you know the like the one who kind of like is maybe a little bit like stupider than everyone else but in some way there's like something that that keeps me in the room you know, but there
0: is some value in that, like,
1: like that, that is su- <laughs> Like, at least I should be like some delivering some sort of value, you know, at intermittent moments. But the whole point is basically is that the sum of everyone else should be way greater than, than what I can oh, offer. Definitely, yeah, definitely. And like, and I've been like super, super lucky to like be around all of those people, basically. And like, my whole thing is like at the end of it, the greatest accolade. And the greatest thing that like I would love for Muse to be is basically to be thought of, you know, the PayPal mafia, you know? So all of the guys that are, all of the guys and girls like that are heading up Muse, you know, like I would love if one day we're a company that people are like, oh shit, he was number 483 at Muse, you know, he's the shit, you know? And like, well, she like that's the kind of company that I would love to, to, to build basically.
0: How did you assemble the core team of Muse? I just
1: trial and error. Like trial and error. Like I started the company with one guy. Um, he didn't work out for whatever reason. So I had to like, um, get back a stake. Then I found another, well, then I tried to find a company who was gonna build parts of it basically for me. They didn't really get what I was trying to do. Then I um thought about getting somebody else in. That didn't really kind of work out. And then I essentially, through a friend of a friend, came across one guy who then brought along his best friend, the the guy who's or oh, the, the guy that he'd worked on on another project and who's now the CTO. But for example, that, that guy who's essentially my original co-founder, um, we had to buy him out the company, I think two years in cause, um, yeah, cause he wanted to go off and do other things. Um, so yeah, so that was, that was really, really horrible as well. Um,
0: so what, what yeah. do you look for in the people when you are interviewing, uh, someone new that would join the company?
1: Um, it's so, like everyone in the company laughs at me about this, but like. I have this like huge belief that every single company needs to be able to productize itself in the end and that the best people are going to be the ones who end up feeling that the work that they're doing is actually part of something that they're building around. It's like a product that they're basically like working on. And and it doesn't really matter if you're in finance or if you're in legal or if you um, you know, or if you're, um, actually working on a product or actually like there's something that you've got to be like working on in your head. Yeah. And it's something that you think is unique, some kind of viewpoint that you have. And I think, and it can be completely random. It can be completely, um, but it's just like, I think those are the, those are the people that really, really excite me. The people that are just like, have a slightly weird sense of the world that they believe in things, which are slightly strange, you know? And I, like, I really, really feast on that. Yeah. Like I really, I love people who are just good at something or just like have a particular insight into something like, um, and they just, they, they show passion about it. They're like, you know, the fact that, and it can be something really, really small. And I feel, like I have this like belief that if you have that about something, then you can easily transfer that kind of passion into whatever you're actually kind of working on, and like I, I look at, I look for, I think of ways that in the interviews I can get that out of people. Yeah, you know, like what is it that actually kind of helps you get out of bed? What's the thing that like is going to make you go back to the problem on Sunday night at three a.m. because you're just really, really worried about getting it wrong and it's not because and it might be because of other people and of the fact that like you're afraid of looking like a failure or you're looking like you're stupid or that somebody might kind of figure out that you're not as clever as everyone thinks that you are or that you're basically feeling like you're a complete fraud but if you have that basically like in yourself to kind of like stick on the thing and to actually be like i really really need to solve this like half for myself, half for everyone else. I think like that's the thing that I really, really love looking for. Um, or people where I kind of, where I look at them and I'm like, I can get it out of you. So Boom. Yeah.
0: That's it. So you have passed on many offers uh, for acquiring the company. Where do you want to take it? What Because you mentioned that you want to achieve something yeah. right, but that's kind of hypothetical like, uh, I, like what what's uh, what's uh, your goal
1: I, This is where it becomes like really really stupid like I can give you the the investor answer, which is like you know we want to grow to an iPO and we want to you know create shareholder value and we want to you know um, be the the biggest company in hospitality. But if you're asking me, like, I want to remake the internet. Like, I really, I think that the way that certain things work in the world are not correct. And it would just be great if we were part of the, the, the process to basically, to, to, to make sure that advertising is not the underpinning model of the internet. Like, if that's the thing that, like, I could be a part of or I could have, like, a 10% part of that, or i don't know like like even less than that like a trace element that basically somebody goes like oh amuse was this like weird shitty company that basically kick-started this thing and it actually made uh, uh, the world a better place at the end of it like that's the thing that i live for and i like i feel that we can do that even with the particular kind of let's say the, the 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 industry from the vantage point of the industry that we're working in
0: is there ever a way that you would expand to some other industries at some yeah. point
1: yeah yeah because
0: yeah. it's like your uh uh ideas like hospitality. are
1: hospitality is like the like we look at it as like like for me it's like it's the essence of being human right it's like hospitality is all about gift giving an obligation you give a gift you create an obligation yeah And it's, you have this entire kind of thing. And it's the way that humans interact. Like I tell you something about myself and I expect you to tell me something. I am open to you.
0: That's right, and I have not said much. Yeah, exactly, you're just
1: like, I'm just like here being like, fucking asshole. Yeah. (laughs) But like, I, I'll make it up. But like, that's the thing that like, I think drives human interaction and people want to do that. People want to give gifts. Yeah, people want to share experiences. People want to kind of do that. And I feel like that to me is inherent in every single uh, industry and in every single thing that, that humans do. You know, that like it's like the way that we see rooms like rooms in hotels are nothing without a person sleeping in them. Like you create no value by an empty room. There is no, there, there is no inherent value in that. There is some cost, but there's no inherent value. It's only valuable when you have somebody who wants to sleep in that bed. Yeah? And so the room is completely useless. It's only, the only true value in the world is basically one human creating something that can be an experience for another human. And like, if you look at it through that prism, basically, it's not just tied to hospitality.
0: Got it, got it. It seems like things can get pretty intense throughout uh, building up a company how do you how do you switch off how do you relax what's your your go-to place or go-to activity
1: um i get really into the arsenal (laughs) like i like it's weird like you develop these kind of tics where like i was really into football before but like now i just basically like when i switch off i go into twitter and I like search for the arsenal, and it's like really embarrassing and really weird, and I don't even know what I'm saying on camera.
0: Even if there is no game,
1: <laughs> even if there's no game, I just want to know everything about like what's going on. In what's this. happening with yeah. the players? Yeah, and it's just like it's they... so completely outside of everything that I'm doing. Like, but it just what for, did some they have reason, for, for lunch. Yeah, like it's almost <laughs> shit like that. Like, and I'm like, oh my God, like, what have I become? Like, so I don't know. There's that. Then, like. I just love reading and like finding out about the world and finding out about like really, really like, like weird stuff, like weird, like, I don't know. At the moment I'm on this like whole thing that like, I love reading about, um, the guys that built America. Yeah. And, um, like at the moment, like, there's a there's another entrepreneur that recommended this book about the Brooklyn Bridge, for example, and about like how hundreds of people died like making it. It's like such a beautiful bridge, and like me and my daughter, when like we love walking along it, and I'm trying to brainwash her to believing that the American flag is actually called the Brooklyn flag. Anyway, um, but uh, so she goes like
0: Brooklyn flag, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but um, it's. Like I love finding out like really weird stuff like that. And like, so for example, like, um, like last week we went, uh, last weekend we went apple picking and there was a whole guy who was telling us about like the history of why you have so many different varieties of apples. And it's essentially this guy who renamed himself to John Appleseed that then created this entire kind of industry of, different types of apples that you see all across america and it's just like absolutely fascinating and i just like i love like if i could live my life through one constant wikipedia wormhole like <laughs> that would be my life really really well spent
0: you have mentioned uh, throughout our chat a lot of books uh what does uh your bookshelf like
1: like at the moment nothing because it's all in a carton like <laughs> <laughs> being shipped across like the atlantic so um but i think at the moment um like i'm reading uh about Catherine graham the um uh, the woman who ran the washington post because um, again somebody else recommended it to me as a great story about leadership and about um you know the 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 way that you should think about you know uh running a a business that then creates a lot of social value, and like you know how to kind of uh, run a business that is run because you're doing the right thing, or you're trying to do the right thing, and how to think about that. And um yeah, so that that's what do, I'm reading do you, right Do now.
0: you mostly go off recommendations of uh, other people? Um,
1: I guess so. Like, I think there's like it's funny. Like you you end up. um like, I swear it's like, it's one of these kind of things where, like, people who read books, yeah, like, or people who read voraciously, yeah, end up being really, really good guides. Like, for example, like anything that our CTO says is good, I will read that like all the time. Cause it's just like, I just love some of the, like, the weird stuff that he basically brings my attention to. And he, and like, it will usually be about like foundational elements of, um, uh, of programming or about functional programming and stuff like that. And I, like I have no idea how to do any of that. And I'm like the worst programmer on the planet, but I love the theory around it. Like I love the, it's it's just like, it's very philosophical. It's very, um, you get down to like uh, concepts of minimalism and like, what it means, and then like there's, there's just so much that you can tack onto it, and you kind of like, you know, it's like the basics of what clean code should look like are exactly the same as what great design should look like, you know, and like what are the ways to like marry that? I, I don't know, like, so it's like people like that, or like, um, I don't know, uh, like whenever I meet up with him, like, like John Collison from Stripe, like, he's actually like a really, really good book recommender without me name dropping like an idiot but like he actually recommended this book about oracle the one that i mentioned like right at the beginning like and i was like you yeah, know but i read it and i was like fuck, that's a good recommendation <laughs> yeah and it's just um yeah so i <clears throat> or like i uh, follow like from tech guys like keith rub R- Wise, um, who used to be like the CEO of, um, of Square and then like a couple of others. And he always has really, really good book recommendations on Twitter. Or, you know, if you stalk him enough, you see like the interactions with other authors where he's kind of like given them and you're like, oh, shit, that, okay, fine, I'll read that book. So he's basically technically the person that recommended Loonshots to me because um, he was like, nice. oh, this is like an interesting guy. And um, so I just pre ordered the book from that recommendation. It just turned out to be like one of the best books that I've read, at least this year. But um, yeah, it's
0: amazing. Yeah, books are certainly a great source of uh, learning something new and uh, expanding your perspective. So. Thank you for dropping a couple <laughs> during
1: during the chat. I'm just like a shameless name drop. Uh, I, I get royalties to... from all of them so you can go <laughs> to my Amazon like page. And,
0: yeah. I I wanted to thank you so much for yeah, taking you. taking time and and hosting us here in Brooklyn, to yeah. uh, shoot the podcast and uh, yeah. No, thanks had, so much! Uh, I had a tremendous time yeah, uh, chatting with you and learning uh, about uh, Muse, and uh, I wish you that. Uh, Soon you will be able to ring the bell with a successful IPO of Muse.
1: Yeah, uh, well, you know, or or we we invent another form of IPO. But yeah, anyway.
0: <laughs> or you do that, but uh, no. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, I wish you luck, and uh, I I definitely see that uh, you are pushing hard, and uh, I think that you deserve it for sure.
1: Thanks so much, and thank GD you as well.
0: Cool. So I hope that you have enjoyed the podcast with Richard from Muse Systems and like if you liked it please do share it with someone you know or just tag us on social media for us it's a tremendous reward and we would love to see that We'll be working hard on bringing you more episodes like this one and uh, yeah until then stay tuned <laughs>